is the Almost Awakened Podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality with your hosts, Brittany Hartley and Bill Reed. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. All right. Good, Good morning, morning Bill. How are you? I never get to see you in the morning. This is yeah. Here it is. This is this is it. All in all its glory. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing awesome. How's life treating you? I'm so good. I am so excited for our guest today. We have a really, really cool guest today. I say that about every guest, but this one is this one is really cool. Yeah. So today, I think we'll just jump right in. Today we have Nick Jenkel, who's going to be joining us. And what I really love is hi, Nick. Nick is a TED Talker. He's the author of the book Switch On and Spiritual Atheist, which is one of my favorite books. And he's a a voice I like to have in my ears. So we're super honored to have him on the podcast today. He's a highly sought after keynote speaker and consults big brands like Nike and Lego and Google, even at the White House and Downing Street. So we're just super honored today to have Nick Jenkel on the podcast. How are you, Nick, across the pond there? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it's dark. It's already dark here. That's how <laughs> that's how it is. Uh, it's snowing. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's you can bring some light to the depths of um, an English winter and you, you've really got something going. Love it. Love it. So the first thing I just want to ask you is how you became interested in spirituality. Mm. Well, good question. I could make some jokes around that, um, but I'll be sincere. Um, uh, I actually actively didn't want to be involved in spirituality for a long time, um, which is actually why I ended up writing a book about being an atheist and being spiritually inclined, because I thought it was an area that wasn't for me and wasn't uh, I wasn't allowed to be in while still being a scientist. So I, I was trained in science originally. Um, and... I also had, had had some experiences of people who were, I don't know whether they were spiritual or not, but they were in what we would call the new age cultural bracket. And I didn't find their personal values, ethics, and general way of being particularly inspiring. So I kind of just chucked that whole thing away. Um, and then, but, but, or and, um, when I was 13, I, um, 12, 13, I did a, had a bar mitzvah. And I had to spend every weekend in synagogue for best part of two years. And I was really bored because I found the main part of the service really dull and uninteresting and not for me at all. But in the back of the prayer book were all these sayings from interesting people um, who I now realize were often rabbis, but not always. So people like Martin Buber or um, um, other interesting people who were actually speaking about something more nuanced uh, that I didn't know what it was. I didn't know there was a category uh, for wisdom or spiritual thought. And so I'd always been interested, but never had been given a gateway or an access point. And the only one I saw, which was new age stuff, I just wasn't for me. 
um, or straight religion where there may be some spiritual stuff somewhere if you're lucky, um, but not always either. So um, naturally interested, very curious about love, essentially love curious, um, but didn't get into it until I was really about 30. And it, it was kind of because I was brought to my knees in um, emotional um, and entrepreneurial pain that I decided I had to do whatever it took. And if whatever it took meant entering into a world that I thought wasn't for me, then that's what I had to do. And um, the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, that's interesting because I feel like, uh, so Bill and I ended up in a similar, I feel like we're in a similar place. We jive in a similar place, but we came at it from the other side, which is, you know, you had this more secular background and then kind of came to your knees and needed kind of something more. And then Bill and I come from a high demand religion and then had to go the deconstruction route, but mm. then really wanted to hold on to the things that we missed in religion, like the, you know, the rituals and the community and the love and the morality and all of that. Mm. And so it, it was almost, it's, it sounds like two paths to a very similar place, but from opposite ends of the spectrum. And so I'm curious about, oh, did you have something to say there? No, I mean, in some ways, the secularity I was committed to, which I would now discern as materialist atheism as opposed to other forms. I didn't know there were, it could be forms. Um, is a kind of religion of its own and it is high demand. Um, and it does require you to um, say no to things before you've even explored them. Um, so, um, and I got into that as a kind of revelation. There was a revelatory moment of atheism for me um, when I discarded all religion and spirituality. So there, there is a, there's a similarity in there, um, albeit the texts one uses are different, you know, for for the religion. But there's definitely yeah. where there's dogma, there is usually danger. Is, is, is Certainly. Yeah. So Bill and I talk about that a lot where, you know, people in our space who are deconstructing will kind of throw mm. everything out and then they become, you know, the new religion is the religion of the left or the religion, mm -hmm. you know, Sam Harris becomes the new prophet or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And it's like, oh, we haven't actually grown here. You've just found a new religion. Mm. Um, so we do, t we talk about that a lot, but I'm curious about the intersection and then I'll have, I'll have Bill jump in here, but I'm curious about how you ended up at the intersection of business and spirituality or leadership and spirituality, which I do think oh. makes you really unique in that space. How did those roads kind of collide there for you? Wow. I don't really know how to even describe it. You know, I do believe that part of a spiritual path is to make sense of things as they're going through the lens of growth and, and sort of complexity of growth, complexity of development. So there must be some kind of developmental arc for me on this journey that had me do this uh, in this particular nuanced way. And I guess one of the sliding door moments is when I left medical school and got a job in an ad agency working with, you know, Nike and PlayStation and things. And I didn't choose that. And it wasn't like I chose it, but it wasn't a strategy. There was no like, this is going to be my career. It was kind of just like a thing I did in between doing something else. And then once you realize you can speak corporate, which I can and do and enjoy doing, um, you realize that that's something very rare that you can speak corporate, but also 
bring some wisdom, some discernment, some purpose, some nuance, some intuition into those conversations, which is what the world fundamentally needs more than anything. So when you put it all together, it sort of makes total sense for me that I'd be doing this, but it's not something I ever designed and it's not something I, I strategized in. In fact, more of it was like being pulled into it constantly. And I actually tried at one point to let go of my work in the corporate space because I've kind of done, I was burnt out. And I was just like, whatever, I want to go and, you know, sit on a meditation cushion and teach people how to connect with their selves. And then I realized, well, lots of people are doing that, but not that many can bring some of that wisdom, not that practice, but that wisdom into the places where the decisions are made about how the future of our planet is going to look and the future of our species are going to look and the future of our organizations are going to look, which most of us work. So um, I kind of realized that was kind of where I got to. And in fact, so much so that it was so surprising in some ways to me that about 10 years ago, a woman said, you know, I think you're the de facto chopper of business. And I was like, I don't know longer than this, 15 years ago. And I was like, I know, I don't want to be the sort of business guy, the business wisdom guy. Um, and now I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so privileged to be able to work with really amazing people who have already succeeded in the world of doing things. Um, you know, a kind of cost of entry to being in a room of, of, of leaders doing leadership development is that you've made it already. You know, you, are, you have can't become a senior manager in a large organization. And then people give you this awesome content and practices and things. And so I get to work with some of the smartest people in the world and bring them into their body, bring them into their intuition, bring them into their imagination and bring them into their purpose and their ethics. Um, and they really want it and enjoy it. Um, and yeah, it's an amazing niche to be in. Um, yeah, I, don't, I could go talk more about it, but it's, it's, a, it's an amazing area to be in, uh, but it's kind of chose me in some way. Um, and uh, I don't know what that way is. Maybe I'll know in 20 years. I, you started off talking for a moment about like the bar mitzvah and obviously a, I'm assuming a member of the faith of Judaism, at least at one point. You can kind of. Not. Yeah, people I, was, were. I don't think I ever signed up like there was no um, guest book, but uh, I yeah. was in I was in there. Yeah, I was. Yeah, in yeah. That, that's that's in what that I wanted to ask system. was. <laughs> for folks who tend to find themselves on this side of things, trying to make, making their life's effort, connecting, you know, deconstructing parts of religion, but still asking us to hang on to parts of spirituality. Normally there's a religious narrative there where they were in a religion, deconstructed it on some level for whatever reasons. And I was just curious about your transition from at least being seen as being within a faith in your younger days to being outside of it now doing some sort of separate work? Mm, there's a few things in there to unpack. I talk about like having a double conversion uh, experience. I, I converted to atheism. Um, although my father, it was and is uh, a full sort of Marxist style atheist, um, like super anti-religion. Um, and, but that's, I think, partly to do with other, other, family reasons, um, Holocaust stuff, you know, it's quite hard to hold on to a religion when most of your family have been killed because of that religion. So um, uh, I had a sort of atheistic path and the, the, the sort of more religious people in my family were, they weren't that serious. 
they were more they come from a, it's called the reform synagogue movement so it's quite um it's quite progressive it's quite you know there are women rabbis you know, there's a whole sort of um intellectual side to it um but it's still it's still organized religion you know um and i think a lot of people in organized religion find what i do quite distasteful um that's my experience um and i'd even say that within some of the buddhist lineages and some of the the sort of eastern lineages it's still seen as dangerous and i understand why some of the dangers there we can maybe talk about the dangers of a sort of diy what i've called in some writings fruit salad fruit salad spirituality where you sort of pick the bits you like and you get rid of the bits you don't like um including things like discipline and rigor and charity and commitment and all these things um so i get the dangers the other side of the fence is a lot of people from my let's say science driven friends um intellectuals academics also find what i do quite distasteful um not the what i do the leadership stuff but some of my writing some of my deepest held convictions so it's definitely uh, it's not an easy area to be in um between the two but or and it's growing and that's something I find really interesting is that there are a lot of people who are saying, listen, I don't really believe in dogma. I don't believe in a revealed truth, um, but something has revealed in me that I would like to explore. Um, and I would say that there are that that audience is growing massively and don't know where always to go and don't know what is right and what is good for them and um, and that's a, a great challenge i think yeah i feel like that's a space that bill and i understand well um because we're trying to convert atheists to spirituality and then we're trying to um challenge the religious and and try to make it you know based in science and and challenge things that are kind of nonsense baggage that cause a lot of unnecessary suffering and both right. sides get really mad at you. And there's no, there's no camp, you know, there's no like, you know, if, if, if Bill and I were to just go into religion, you know, there'd be some easy camps and listeners that you could just get a lot of zeal this way. If we just wanted Absolutely. to talk about how much we hate religion, there's a whole camp of loud people that would just be super into that. <laughs> and like, and like trying to find this like little safe space in between it, you know, where there's a lot of good stuff kind of offends everyone equally sometimes. So, so Bill and I, I definitely I understand that. More. Like when I had my first book published, you know, people, they wanted me to target a certain type. Um, and I've consistently chosen not to target the people who usually buy the kind of things that I sell, which is an ironic life given I was in marketing um, expert at one point in my career. Um, but it's the right path. Like I, I'm absolutely convinced that, and I mean this really quite seriously, unless we get a critical mass of people who can within themselves balance um, what science can tell you about the physical world with what some kind of inner practice can tell you about the world of your subjectivity, your consciousness, your awareness. Um, we can't really get out of the mess we're in as a species. So I'm really sure that we really have to crack how to do that and find this space in the middle and grow the space and make it safe and make it um, a thing without then it becoming another thing, another religion of some ilk, which we don't want. Um, 
and it would be much easier for me just to go, I'm a new young-ish guru and I'm going to tell you about how to be enlightened in three seconds or why jumping under the sun is the best way or whatever it is. And yet it's not right. It's not the right path for the world. So it may be lonely, but I'm absolutely convinced in my deepest truth, the truth that is my spiritual truth. I don't use that word very often because I don't even know what it means anymore. Um, I am absolutely convinced that finding a way where we can be guided by love and compassion and be clear that we're doing, we've been guided by love and compassion and not pretending it's because we've got evidence. Um, but my heart tells me, and not my hurt heart, not my ouchy heart that was traumatized, but my full juicy heart that's plugged in to the sun, the moon, the trees, um, whoever avatar or energy archetype that feels good right that minute is telling me to do this. And I have some evidence, but I don't have all the evidence. So there is a little bridge, there's a little gap between what I can tell you as evidence and what I know to be right for me to do. And that little gap is the bit where it all happens really and it will happen and that's why i'm so committed to what i'm doing is because we need to arm people with these two amazing tools science and contemplative spirituality yeah so i had some other questions but this is mm. this is too interesting to not um to not dive into um something that i'm always thinking about and talking to others in this space people like you and who like to hang out in these spaces, the, the big question I feel like everybody's trying to figure out because we don't entirely know if it's possible is, is can we do this on a grand scale or does only right. dogma create the kind of zeal that creates communities who will pay tithing or something, you know, pay into the system and give up their time and do the rituals and show up to teach each other's kids and do mm. all these things. So Bill and I, Bill and I come from, you know, Mormonism, which mm. is, although, you know, there's some disconnects with science, there is quite a bit there as far as just the ability to create a community and a strong community Definitely. and, and, and help each other, raise each other's children in, mm -hmm. in a moral and meaningful life. And it's something that, especially for post-Mormons, but I think for everybody else, it's the question that's everybody's that everybody is trying to figure out. How do we do this where it's not just me by myself, reading spiritual atheists, listening to the waking up app, you know, doing this work by myself. And then I've got my kids and I try to, you know, you find a few books, you find a few meditations, but it's almost like everybody in the space is, is recreating the wheel by themselves. Mm. And how do we get that momentum into some kind of some kind of organization or community, or is it not possible because mm. of human nature and that kind of zeal element that you need to push it over the edge? So thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's also an economic issue with this, as you said. Right. Unless people are willing to put money in without then thinking you have to sign away your house to the guru, um, the economic challenges of how do you not replicate the wheel? How do you have time to do anything other than look after your kids, you know, as, as a dad of two um, and an entrepreneur and hopefully sometimes a decent husband and someone who tries to take care of myself as well. What the dog, which is what I just did uh, before I came on and uh, before it gets dark, you know, that is a whole economic challenge. Um, and definitely not one I've cracked because I, I, we've tried all the models that you could imagine. I've done the pay it forward, you know, it's free at point of access. 
um, which is like the Vipassana model. I've tried to pay a lot of money, two grand for a workshop model. Um, and uh, I've tried looking at co-living and co-working and cooperative business, all sorts of different models. Um, and there's so many challenges to it. So there's a kind of coherence challenge around the, the maps and the meaning maps. Um, and that actually is bigger than it might seem, because even though I've got, let's say, I would say I've probably got a few hundred friends slash acquaintances globally who I think are kind of in a spiritual atheist worldview. And yet something like COVID hits and I realize that half of them um, are of one tribe and half of another tribe. I thought they were the same tribe. They're really not at all. Um, so that's been a kind of like, wow, I thought we were at least this little few of us had found some, you know, thing. And so obviously we know that this problem was solved by rules um, and Deuteronomy or whatever it is, or the elders or whoever it is laying down some rules because most people don't have time to think and they have biases and they actually need to just be in the fields growing the barley not reflecting on their deepest truths so so there's a kind of and that's why we know how priests developed because um you can only have a priest if someone else is going to feed them so you have to have a surplus of goods to have a priestly class but then once you have a priestly class then they can actually be paid to reflect and think and meditate and write and whatever needs to be done tending um hopefully some healing whatever some guidance leadership um and so then there is a challenge because the established traditions do create an economic model that works. It works from a point of view of tithing, 10%, whatever you want to call that, or, you know, synagogue membership fees or funeral membership fees or whatever. There's some payment going on, which needs to occur. Um, and I know many itinerant spiritual teachers who can't afford to kind of eat because they don't want to take money and then people don't want to pay. So that, obviously doesn't work and then there's obviously the, the the other part of the model as you mentioned is the community aspect of the village that takes care of each other's children is just a better economic model than everyone sitting on their own trying to do all of it um so we've looked my business partner and wife and i have looked at um fully sort of capitalist models you know um real money real cost to doing things the problem with that is you then just get the privileged few that doesn't seem to be quite right um and um and then they've always got problems and there's always you know an issue somewhere uh, it's quite difficult running retreats and things it's not very pleasant all the lot of the time um and so one of the reasons actually why i'm so grateful and appreciative and delighted to be in the leadership space is because you're doing the same work um but they really want it and they're really prepared to pay a decent amount of money so you can actually design things properly and think through things and get materials we're just having some stuff printed we're having some stones printed with some values on them that people can then use in a circle to create a, a healthy circle or or um tools and scripts and things and that just takes so much time to develop um and um it doesn't really work without being funded properly and so I don't know what the answer is. I, I think we'll end up somewhere with some kind of loose confederated communities that aren't tied in with, with huge um, belief systems, but they are tied in with a kind of exchange of commitment, value, contribution, 
Um, and you see that in the number of co-living communities that are popping up that don't always have an ethos. And what's actually interesting is uh, we know a few and it's some of the ones that don't have an ethos. They're quite hard to make work because there's no ethos. So there's nothing to go back to when people are arguing, well, can I use the lawn for this or can we plant here? Or, you know, there's the usual conversations people have. Right. Um, on the other hand, if there's an ethos, you then get, as we know, the polar, the eventually someone with an ethos goes, I know the ethos better than you. Or I know what John meant, even though John's dead. I know what John meant more than you know. And then we're back in St. Paul or whoever it was who decides that I know more than you know about this person. Um, or actually my interpretation of this word, which actually was Greek. Oh, no, it was Aramaic. Oh, who knows what the word is anymore? So you, it's, it's very easy to get down. When the ethos route happens, you're back in this arguments about who knows more and who's the better person, who's the... I'm closer to the X, where X is the light, the father, whatever. And if any of you seen the um, Nixium documentary, you can see that happening just as human nature, right? We project. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's no good answer, but there are, there are also lots of green shoots coming. So there's the Association of Spiritual Integrity, which I'm a member of, which I really appreciate, where fairly grounded science-driven spiritual types are trying to work out how do we stop spiritual teachers project, uh, being projected onto um, and enjoying it because they've got narcissistic wounding of their own dot, dot, dot. You know, bringing some of the basics of psychotherapy and supervision and, um, you know, that kind of stuff. So there's, you know, that's one little piece of solution. Co-living, I think, is a piece of solution. Um, and some of the technologies that are going on around blockchain and, and um, participatory voting, I think, is super interesting. You know, when you have tools to, to de deliberate as a community who aren't necessarily sharing all our same values but we maybe subscribe to a vision together of some sort and there are now tools where i can learn whilst i vote so there are bits of the ingredients that are out there purpose-driven business b corps you know there's just there's loads of bits but we're definitely in a liminal phase where we're sort of leaving the two great religions of the 20th century which is you know atheism and 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 um traditional religion, secular religion and, and traditional religion, revealed religion. Um, and we're definitely in this space where there's definitely lots of things happening, but I don't think anyone's, there's no cracking that I've seen. There's no model I would go, that's the model. And maybe that's the point. Maybe there is no one model anymore and it has to be context dependent and anthropologically seen. You know, design thinking is another tool where you design into a context. And so maybe a context in Utah in 18, 18 whatever, creates a certain type of community and maybe a context in England in, in whatever um, is not. I actually found out yesterday, very bizarrely for this moment, that my wife who's American, um, her, one line of her people are in various books about being uh, Mormon pioneers. We didn't know that until yesterday. So that's a interesting little uh, connection uh, of the story. <laughs> the Macaulay's out of Ireland uh, came over. It's, you know, you say all that, it's no wonder that religion really was a binding mechanism yeah. for, for human beings over tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years. And, uh, you know, we've had organizations out here, I think these are more nationwide in the US, but certainly out here in the West, an organization like Oasis, where 
every Sunday you'd get together and somebody would read a poem and somebody would tell a story to teach a principle about good human behavior, but people will show up for a couple of weeks and then they go like, there's just nothing here to hold me. And, and so you're pointing to sort of that problem as well. And uh, it just, it does strike me that, you know, when you've had bands of humans trying to survive that the biggest tribe is always going to beat the smaller tribe and the things that bind bigger tribes together are the things that uh, survived and went with us for, for a long, long time. And now we're in this moment where whether, whether the religionists like it or not, religion is little by little dying. Um, dogmas die. You know I mean? There, there's always going to be groups of people who are willing to, mm. to believe in things that are absurd to, uh, to the logical sense, but you can see where the nuns are growing and, and, and I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon. I'm curious, you mentioned co-living. Are you talking, when you say co-living, are you talking like earthships? Um, and if folks don't know what that is, oh. I should probably say it's essentially a, a, a place um, on land that's essentially a home that a almost a small community could entirely live in. And um, and you, if you go online, you type earthships, you'll see some of that. Are, are you suggesting that like-minded people will eventually kind of, or are getting together and living kind of in the same facility and building kind of a, their own little small community? I think so. I mean, so Earthships is, a, is an iteration of the, so co-living is just the category of living together. But within that, there are communes where I have no pri property of my own right through to, I've got a beautiful house and we share a kitchen once a week, you know, super low, low demand co-living. Um, and Earthship's a beautiful example because they're kind of off-grid and, and um, self-sufficient and regenerative farming and all these great things. So I do think that it is an in, the intuition most people feel is I want to live more in community than I'm living right now. That's a general shared intuition. Some of that I get from being an organization that is, has a sense of belonging in it. But we don't want that to turn into a cult where if I don't love what the boss says every week, I'm not kicked out or, or given the old cold shoulder. So that's a really tricky area because I work in organizations that want to have belonging and fellow feeling and a sense of in it togetherness. And yet when you go home, you go home when you do whatever you want. You and know, there's and something to, if I can just interrupt you for a second, there's something mm. to that. It's the reason I think religions get you together once a week is because mm. if somebody doesn't shower or somebody's too rude or somebody, <laughs> you, you know, you can put up with somebody for a few hours, you commune with them. And then like you say, you go back to your own place um, whereas something like an earthship to get 20 people or a hundred people living in the same place. And, you know, I have a hard enough time with my wife on a regular basis, right? Like there's, there's always these differences between human beings and relationships that, uh, anyway, I just wanted to jump in and say yeah, like no, putting I mean, people that, together for long periods of time right. are difficult. I think, um, it's also very intense. So when we, uh, one of the tools that we set up in organizations is what we call transformative circles where you are meeting Every two weeks, maybe every week, quite intense. Maybe every month is probably the right cadence where you are fully in the container of the circle and you're working on the emotional, I would say spiritual, um, invisible aspects of the group, right? But you can't do that all the time. That can't be business as usual because we're too exhausting, too much attention, all this sort of stuff. So, um, which is why Sunday worship or Saturday worship is a thing because it's two hours, three hours, and then I'm like, okay, I don't have to. It's super lovely and rejuvenating, but also super intense and exhausting. Um, I need to go and, you know, do my shopping or, you know, play football, whatever. Um, 
So I do think that's, a, that's something definitely intelligence. There's intelligence in our religious communities around the amount of intensity a human being can take, whether it's inner focus on a meditation slash prayer type experience or group focus when we're doing that binding, the, you know, the religa religare aspect of religion um, or the, 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 the ligatures of religion. Um, but or and there are a lot of co-living models where you are more in the sort of capitalist libertarian model where I own this bit of it and it's mine and I will have fights with my wife the way I want to have fights with whatever. Um, but that bit over there, we have to tend together on a work day or whatever, which is an interesting model because you're trying to blend. So I always think about these things as like a, um, I used to be a DJ and there's a, you know, a mixing desk where you've got A and B and it's not like either or it's like, where do I want to be? And it changes during your life, right? And it changes whether you've got kids or whether you're elder. Like, for example, I do not want to die on my own in an apartment in a city, moping after hope for my wife, who I'm hoping I go first. But, you know, if I don't, that's the last thing I want to do for 20 years, you know, shuffling to the library so I can keep reading. Um, uh, so what's the kind of model for co-living as a kind of elder? Is it like the kind of places in Florida where there's someone animating activities all day that's one option you know there's there's so many flavors of it but we are community people we are community beings we know we have a social nervous system it's super tuned to sociality and we know that living on your own uh, and being lonely is a uh, you know a, uh, uh, creates death and depression you know they're just really clear on that we're super clear on that on the other hand we know that if we get everyone together all the time it gets too much everyone's in each other's business and there's gossip and there's stuff. And then we usually project onto one or two people. And we know where that goes as well. So and whether that's Leninist version or religious version, it's still the same human issue. Um, so that's kind of part, I think that's a part of it is how we design different stages and places. But there's another thing that you said that I just sort of um, mentioned, which is one thing, one area where I see a huge amount of overlap between what I call the wisdom traditions. So that's anything from um, Sufism to Buddhism to uh, Catholic mysticism to Kabbalah, whatever. Traditions where you look inside and you, and you try and understand what your relationship to the whole is. Um, where that tradition and the scientific tradition, particularly in the neuroscience of belief and reasoning and um, how we decide things, there's a lot of overlap. Um, and I think one of the tools that I think if we become more and more aware of metacognition and, and sort of meta-awareness and um, why I'm thinking the way I'm thinking and, and whether it's emotionally driven, which almost always is, and to be able to acknowledge that and go, oh, maybe I'm holding on to something because actually um, I feel like I miss my dad because I never grieve, you know, whatever the psychological story of that is. If all of us in a community have the tools where we can meet regularly and have these kind of conversations, you do start to see coherence and belonging without, I don't know what to call it, um, without giving up power to a hierarchy, essentially. Um, so we have sovereignty, but we also have collect, you know, some kind of community. Um, and that's a really interesting model. Whether it can transfer to another generation is the, one of the great questions I don't know. Um, the kibbutz escapade says no. Um, uh, although there's places like Dharma and Her in Italy that are still going and they've made every mistake and they happily share all the mistakes they've made, but they've got multiple towns in one region. 
um, that all kind of loosely align. And one of the great, um, what do we call it, pillars of that community is individual spiritual progression of whatever that means to you. So that's an interesting sort of, that's like a kind of, you are, if you don't do that, you can't be in the community. We're not going to tell you exactly how to do that because that's religion, right? But we'll give you some boundaries around, you've got to be doing something and we need to see you progressing, you know, developing. We need to see you becoming more mature, which is ultimately what these traditions are trying to do is help us mature and deal with death and deal with grief and deal with problems of resources where we can't all eat the same thing tonight, you know, so who eats the fish, you know, or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very hopeful. Like, I'm very hopeful, but I also know we've got a lot, a long ways to go. Yeah. So my, my question there is what do you do with the argument? Uh, and I think it's a fair argument to say, once you get into the business of, of trying to create communities and rituals and um, having some sense of, not not scripture, but something that acts like a scripture, some kind of rules or guidelines for a group. When you start trying to create that, why not just, especially in kind of a world of entropy where it's much easier to break things down than it is to kind of build things that last, mm -hmm. why not just deconstruct the institutions, specifically religious and spiritual institutions in existence and have everybody kind of be like, um, secular or atheist Jews are a great example of this, of being able to participate and get all the benefits of community, get, get the story, get the culture, get all of that. Mm. And, and not really come to blows with science in any meaningful way. And you can have people who say I'm, I'm Jewish, but, but are atheist at, at the deepest level. We have, we have, um, you know, mm. secular places like New York, you have, leaders that are, you know, I'm an atheist Jew and, and they, they run a synagogue. And anyway, so what would you say to that argument? This, this almost mm. goes down to like the Sam Harris, Jordan Peterson argument of like, Hey, mm -hmm. I, Sam Harris saying, I think we can build this. I think we can build from the ground up. And I think we can build this just out of, you know, values of, of, um, just trying to reduce suffering and Jordan Peterson saying, you know, I, I think we need to hold on to these things here because they've been here for thousands of years and they're really hard to recreate. And maybe mm. we just, maybe we just hold on to some of these and, and, and shift it, which is part of like this long Christian or Jewish conversation. We just keep evolving it. Like reformation, well, essentially. Some form yeah, of reformation. let's just have another reformation. Let's just do mm. like, you know, we can all be non-believers and, and science driven, but, but keep these institutions for what they're great for. And what mm. would you say to that argument in general? Super interesting. I haven't ever thought about it, but um, let me, there's a couple of things you said. I'll just pull out some threads, I think. Firstly, the entropy argument is super interesting. Um, but we've kind of seen where deconstruction alone leads to. And it doesn't lead to coherence. It leads to um, everyone arguing over who's more woke and who's more deconstructive than everyone. And you know, I'm more free than you. I have even less false consciousness than you do. And so we're just back in the same issue again. So we do need to keep, we do need to build. I definitely believe, believe we need to build. Whether we need to reform and or reimagine, I don't know. And in fact, in the model of leadership that I teach, there are, are always both of those available to improve an outcome. So we call one of them um, intervention and one of them invention. 
And so an intervention is, you know, Luther and the Reformation or, or Quakerism or whatever. These are all, inter, you know, um, interventions in an existing system. Um, and then, then there's the Buckminster Fuller idea, which is don't try and solve a broken system, invent a new one, uh, which I used to be fully, uh, you know, a card-carrying member of that. But now I realize that actually you need to probably do both all the time. Um, and whenever I see an either or, I tend to find the both and, and, and it usually feels more wise and more more um, grounded in, in reality. So I think it's probably a both and. Um, I think there are a number of communities of uh, Muslims, Jews, Christians that I feel are accepting and available for conversation with someone like me. Um, without telling me I'm going to burn in hell because basically I don't believe um, in what they believe. Um, so that is happening. You know, you see it happening. There are, you know, spiritual uh, Christian anarchist groups. There are, um, you could think of the whole um, uh, liberation theology of South America as a kind of reformation, a socially conscious reformation of Christianity, Catholic Christianity. Um, so I think that is occurring and everyone's, that's one direction of travel that people are moving towards. And then of course you've got people who are experimenting with, okay, I'm gonna set up a cult in you know, Oregon and see what happens. Uh, and we've seen the documentary on that. Um, or people like me going, I think we could do co-living, but I think we can do it with some ethos and some values. But maybe. So th they're both kind of coming together. What's interesting in, in something you said about the, like the new new atheists, kind of the Alain de Botton, um, Sam Harris types, who I fundamentally believe are on a different side of the line that I don't really like being a line, but there is a line than me, even though we're all sort of vaguely... Anglo-ish, intellectual-ish, scientific-y type people, is that where I sit from, there's a been a lived experience of communion with something bigger than me, which changed my everything about who I think I am and how I think I am and where I think I am. I don't see that as anything to do with a God, a personal God, um, uh, or an entity even. I actually think it's just a fact of a system of the level of complexity we've got that there is subjectivity everywhere. And if you stop thinking of yourself as an I, you would experience that subjectivity. And someone will call that Christ consciousness and someone will call that um, uh, emptiness and someone will call that Brahman. And that's all good. Don't, interest, don't worry about the names of it. But when you feel it and then you reorganize your life around it, you realize that you love more and you want to love more and you want to be part of love more. And you want, and, it just, and that sounds rubbish to people who are, just once not even a step across the line where we want to do singing in on the Sundays and we want to do circles and we want but we don't really have never experienced that and you can tell when someone's experienced it and when someone hasn't because their whole being in the world fundamentally shifts and you can see western philosophers who have kind of come to that point where they're like deconstructing deconstructing Nietzsche you know deconstructing God deconstructing hierarchy deconstructing all these things and they can touch it they can you can sort of touch that there's something a, a presence a truth in in being so Heidegger is the great example there's a truth in being but you're still coming to it from the mind and then there's other people who are coming this way from the body the body's experience of being with everything nothing whatever and they look like they're the same and they've just met but they're not really the same. 
and I and I and it's I, I can't the putting into words is really hard because I know when someone is coming from a lived experience, um, and have have somehow integrated that experience um, into their life, into their world, and um, what I called in the book, a spiritual atheist, I called coming out of the spiritual closet, where a lot of people hide because it's embarrassing to talk about love in a secular environment um, but that's what we need to do more whereas what's interesting for me which I don't think I wrote in the book I think I took it out is that when so I grew up in London which is the probably the most secular city you could imagine living in um anyone religious just not cool of any sort it's just not cool like we can respect you but you're not going to come out with us for dinner unless we're going to go well you're the priest we'll talk about you as a priest but you're not going to be our friend because that's too weird and whatever and when I moved, and, and so for me, it was super dangerous to come out of the spiritual closet. It still is. I would say it still is. It's still dangerous. Um, and, um, and, but when I moved to LA and we're meeting people who identify as religious, although I didn't agree with their metaphysical speculations and dogma, there was a more easy, interpersonal connection um, amongst Americans, which is a much more religious country than England. Um, and that was super interesting to me and super surprising to me that I could have more in common with quite a right-wing religious person as a left-wing intellectual, oh, vaguely left-wing, I don't really believe in wings anymore, but you know what I mean, I as a progressive thinker, that are smile at the awe and magic of being is more in common than someone who I can argue about Derrida, Foucault, and some other deconstructionist, uh, which is super interesting. I don't think I don't, I don't know where I go with that, but it, no, that's that's you know. really that's really interesting that it's a harder sell to to the skeptic than it is to someone I you know so. who who has who has a religious background because at least they've had that moment and where, you know, in sacrament or in prayer or whatever, where they've touched that. And so they'll recognize what you're talking about, even though they'll use words like, oh, that's, you know, that's universal Christ or whatever term that they put on it. So then that begs the question, um, which I didn't have on my list, but it begs the question, <laughs> what you think about psychedelics, especially for that um, skeptical, intellectual, liberal, scientific group as not as a, not as an answer to, you know, mushrooms are just going to be my entire spirituality, but yeah, at least yeah. as a door to, hey, there's something that you're missing. What do you think about that psychedelics Great for question. that group? I definitely don't think they're an, an answer. Um, I think the new research coming out is very nuanced about what they can and can't do in, within a healing modality. You know, there, there's definite strengths you can see the research from johns hopkins from from imperial um uh but there's also lots of adverse effects but there so is there there's a new meta study on mindfulness you know there are adverse effects of mindfulness any one single solution that isn't integrated into a worldview and a practice and with multiple modalities you know where you're okay i tried internal on my own stuff I think I need to now go and share this with someone and share and test it out with someone who's been there. So a, a religion to succeed, I have never really thought about it this way, but I imagine there are, to, for religion to grow, you need to have a multi-modality solution. You've got to have some me time. Uh, you're going to have some me and 
the other time. You've got to have some me and someone else and a little group time and then probably some big group time. And there's some things you can read and there's things you can do. And there's, you know, what we call practices and theory, you know, that you've got to mix it all up, right? Because people learn in different ways and they need to have different things. So anytime you try and replace that with a single solution, you're already in a dangerous territory. That said, the people I've met from that secular worldview who have experienced these things in some committed way, I'd say, have spoken of this experience of unity with a sense of absolute feeling and uh, uh, that knowing that you get from having it internally rather than reading it. And that does open up a whole bunch of conversations and that weren't there before. So um, someone once described this to me as um, the psychedelic renaissance is a kind of like a gate. It opens a gate that then shows you that the gate's there. And then the gate's always there. You don't have any need to have anything more. Once you know there's a gate, you can get through the gate. But they create a gate that you didn't know existed. Um, I actually got like an image of like a Disney movie where there's like a kind of portal, but you never know the portal's there and it's staring at you the whole life. And then someone comes along and says, well, there's this tribal thing from Ecuador. And then, whoa, the portal opens and you're like, oh, that's a really useful. I've been wondering where that portal was all my life. Um, so maybe that's the, the kind of metaphor that I would use is some point you've got to find the portal. It's not the best metaphor. Well, my youngest son loves portals, so I'm going to rock with it right now. We need a portal into something other than this little eye that is always anxious and always thinking about how much I got to do and when no one loves me, blah, blah, blah. That ego has to be portaled out of at some point to have health and well-being and true community. And I believe truly wise leadership. We can't just be stuck in our little ego sense. So we need a portal out. And the question is, what's the best portal? And we know the history of the world with anyone saying I've got the best portal is a history of conflict and war. So maybe the pluralism approach is really good, but then you have the other problems we mentioned at the beginning, which is then you're in this sort of salad bar spirituality where I'm a pluralist, I'm gonna have a little bit of meditation, I'm gonna have a little bit of ecstatic dance. Um, I quite like the original sayings of Jesus, I'm gonna have those in as well. And then I'm gonna build, but I don't have to do any of the difficult work. And one of the great things that religion has done is say, well, you can't have this bit without this bit. And this bit means you're working every week for free or, you know, and you're learning discipline because someone's going to whack you with a Zen stick or whatever version of that we've got. And I do believe that those that the bliss has to come with the discipline and the grit. And I don't know the answer to how you build that for anyone else other than yourself, um, because then you're in the religion design group. And I guess I haven't I've gone there, but definitely, but I don't, I don't know if I want to be there um, and because it's just so dangerous. It's such a dangerous place to be. And I've never really seen anyone go on that journey who didn't traumatize others and probably themselves. So, yeah, it's a really difficult thing to do. And what you don't want to do, if you read the, the Buddhist literature, the Mahayana Buddhist literature, which is don't just sit in your own bliss. You've got to work to help other people get into this experience. See, I do believe that too. You have once you're there, you have to then bring people along, but somehow not be evangelically bring them into your truth, into a truth, 
with pluralism and it i don't you know i don't know where the well, i don't know what the solution is i don't you know and maybe you're right maybe it's better to get an existing entity that's already got structures because you know how hard it is to get an organization to even set you know anyone's in a startup just getting something to exist five years later with some income in the bank is its own crazy spiritual journey so maybe there is a better maybe we can reform or maybe we can reform and invent and somehow back one into the other like you know when um this is a bad example but when time warner bought aol or reverse reverse merge with with a more interesting startup i don't know maybe there's a way to um put a different bit of dna in a in a cell that's a functioning healthy cell um maybe that's the solution i don't know but then you're gonna have all the people going well that's not what i signed up for um you know so yeah don't know what the answer is good question to ask though bill you had you had a thought here uh no the only thing i was gonna play on you've got a question here about you know generation z spirituality and the only thing i was making note of was this idea of and maybe ask your question, but then let me follow it up with something before he answers. Okay. So yeah, my question, and this actually ties into where we were going. So, so, uh, you know, in, in, I live in, in Idaho here. And so I have a group, it's been going about five years of, of post Mormons who meet once a month to continue to explore spirituality. And it's, it's, um, you know, maybe it started with trauma bonding, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's morphed into an actual productive spiritual place for people. It's a group Mm -hmm. I'm very, I'm very proud of. Um, not a lot of money in the bank, but everyone is participating and hosting at their homes. And, and it's five years on and you're still and, exist. and five that, years still existing, thing, right? still exploring spirituality. We'll do a sound bath night together. We'll do a pagan night. We'll have mm-hmm. a discussion night. We'll do social things. And so I feel like, okay, this like we're grooving a little bit. And then when I look at all of our kids, there's nothing, right? There's nothing. Ah, and so I, and this is just kind of a case study for what I feel like is more broadly going on. So either, you know, if you're an adult with teen kids, either you're kind of in this fundamentalist thing and the kids are like, I have the internet, I'm not buying this at all. Or, or, you know, you're, you're a traumatized, you know, you're in this kind of atheist or, or none, or, you know, just throw the whole thing away camp. And then the kids aren't getting anything. And so now the kids are, are, because there's always a desire for, for spirituality and in trying to make sense of your intuition. And so they're on TikTok and they're, um, getting these tarot readers on TikTok and the crystals and hit (laughs) like and get good luck. And it's like, is that, is that the best that we're giving our kids right now is because of where we are as adults, Mm. the kids are essentially pulled into this kind of new paganism, which as you say, is a lot of, um, you know, just you get to pick good, fu- you get to pick good vibe things and mm-hmm. crystals that give you good vibes and whatever. But there's just no, there's, there's just not a lot of meat there. And like, what do we do for these kids? And is there anything going on that gets you optimistic? Or what can we do for this generation that is just getting nothing except TikTok tarot readers? And then Bill, follow up with what you wanted to add. Yeah. So first to second that, which is it is no problem for me to get the 37 to 55 year old to come to either my home or to put an event together for again, uh, ex-Mormons, but those who have deconstructed an unhealthy religious system want to maintain some sort of community 
folks that are very much uh, grasp the the uh, topics and issues and discussions that go on in the spiritual realm about the universe and 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 the awe that we all feel in being both alone and connected with each other. Getting those folks together is easy, and I don't I don't know their kids because the mm. kids aren't involved. And so to second the problem she just stated, and then to note too, maybe to connect this. Because, you know, what they are getting into, I think I think you mentioned that they're, you know, tarot cards, new paganism, the younger generation, astrology, folks are trying to find something somewhere. And you mentioned earlier the dangers of do-it-yourself spirituality. So mm-hmm. I, I guess we're throwing a bunch at you, but on one hand, it's it seems as though the kids, unlike their parents, don't want to jump in on this. And the second part is if the kids continue to find the things that they do, what what are the f- dangers of do-it-yourself spirituality so that we can at least be aware of that, our audience can be aware of that, so that we can continue the discussion away from this one? Mm. Well, huge. So one ray of hope, I do think what are now called the alphas, who is my youngest son. My older son is a Zeta. I mean, obviously, marketing people made these things up, but they're, they're, the alphas are now sort of 10, 11 max. I don't know whether it's just my son and his friends, but they seem to have a very natural sense of community and wonder and awe in nature and the sort of the building blocks of a healthy spiritual experience, as well as like social commitment and, and doing some work every now and again. Very good. Um, so I do have a kind of sense, and this is not scientific and I haven't done any research in it. I have a sense that the generation one below the TikTok tarot, which is my new favorite thought from today. Thank you for sharing that. I didn't even put those things together. Um, I have a lot of hope for them. I do. I feel like they, they've sort of cast some of the issues of the millennials and some of the issues of the Gen Zers, and there's something new going on there, which is kind of natural and effortless, but that might just be a very small sample bias. Don't know. Watch. We'll have to watch and see. Um, but my older son is interesting because he is more of the sort of scientific, secular, British, standard British uh, thing where the people who go to church, the kids don't, are not interested. Um, they had a chapel at school. They just all sit around talking and bored out of their minds and then it's over thankful another week so i actually ended up writing him a book which actually i published yesterday because it's a very timely moment you ask um and it's a book to i guess i never even thought about it what the book was from the spiritual lens it's a book about archetypes that we all have within us and then there's four of them that i talk about um they're not quite based upon jung's work but they're kind of informed by that work um probably more informed by the a-team than they are by anything uh very highbrow um so i have written this book really for him but actually for all teenagers um it's called rise the four elementals um how to waken up the wisdom within you uh to have a life of courage truth love and courage truth love and creativity so they're, they're the four sort of superpowers of these four elementals um and you can see them if you wanted to in different um archetypes of mary or guan yin in china or you know prometheus the creator type so you can see these four archetypes everywhere in the world i do believe we all need four, all four within us and we need all four within our communities so there's definitely something i've seen there a pattern 
Um, so um, that's kind of my response to a very specific issue, which is a son who I know would benefit from some deepened ways of knowing, but has kind of rejected even the new age stuff. Is like just not interested in any of it. So like kind of whatevs to any of it. Um, I'm actually just, as you said, TikTok Tower. I don't know if I'd be more worried if he was kind of landing on Crystal's stuff than I would be if he was totally not interested in any of it. I don't know, which is more worrying to me. Um, I do really worry about um, su surface level new agery um, and its love and light architecture and its inability to deal with trauma and grief and pain, which is make the made up making up of life. Life is inherently has to deal with these things. Um, so anything that takes you away from the spiritual, the hard spiritual slog, which is where the juice is of metabolizing your pain into transcendent experience of freedom. And if there's anything that takes you away from that, then it's dangerous. And maybe it's better to have none of that and just a sort of, I read Harry Potter and I do my work. And then maybe when I'm older, I join a group like, you know, circle and I start exploring i don't know if that's a better path than these kind of quick wins and then you add in the sort of instagram element of it and the tiktok element and the, the element of dopamine and short bursts of easiness it is a recipe for um diversion at minimum from things but look i didn't really get any of this stuff until i was 29 so um you know i was miserable i was depressed i was had anxiety i was overweight i you know it was like it was all joyful <laughs> moments but i was okay you know i was i dealt with life um and i wasn't traumatized by a high demand religion and i wasn't demanded to be someone i wasn't i could have my own self authoring sense making uh, more or less and then i realized it so maybe it's just a natural progress i mean you know that the when i was 14 and i did talk to a rabbi and i said you know is there something other than this stuff that i'm reading in the, you know the boring stuff he didn't really have much to tell me, but he did mention that Kabbalah, which is the, the Jewish mystical inner tradition, you can't do it till you're 40. And I was like, what? This is ridiculous. I'm so smart. I should be able to do what I want and study all the deep secrets of the universe. And now that I am almost 50 and I realize how much the 40s have, have given me um, and how different I was 10 years ago, um, and how much work they are to be a parent and to lose people and to do all that stuff where all this spiritual work practice has, it's where it pays off, right? It's where the, it's what it's all for, I believe. It's for the suffering, it's for the pain. Um, I do see the value in saying, just do your other stuff first, get a job, make some money, become a functioning human being who can take care of themselves. Because um, I've seen a lot of people from the new age world and children of new age, Either children, new ages, people who got into new age thinking when they were in their sort of late teens, early 20s, who've just checked out of life and can't run a, you know, in English saying they can't run a piss up in a brewery, which is, you know, they can't have a celebration in a in a disco. Um, and that doesn't seem to work. You know, there seems to be something in a lot of religions, which is in the Indian religion. You don't go and do your whole big sannyasin thing until you're like 60 or 50 and you've had your kids and you've taken care of business then go off and wander around as a itinerant mystic and um, have awesome experiences. Um, but do the work first. So I, there, maybe there's a, maybe there's some genius in that. Um, I don't think it's what I'd want for my kids, but I think there's a both and again where you can, you know, you know, um, you can find yourself while you're just doing normal life. 
I think there's something to be said for being a competent member of society um, as a kind of cost of entry into wild, ecstatic, non-dual experiences. Because otherwise you, you don't have anything to ground you, right? And then you're, you're in the tarot, tip-top tarot land, thinking you've found some truth, but maybe it's just your emotional state right now. Maybe it's not truth. You know, I don't know. Yeah, it's almost like this, you know, just just be this focus on, you know, let's just try to be stable and then eventually life will bring you to your knees. For Bill mm. and I, it was faith crisis for, for you. Life brought you to your knees too. And so eventually life will kind of bring you to your knees and then we can, and then maybe a path will open up for you. But let's just try to be stable. Let's just try not to Absolutely. put too much onto the planets. Gen Z, and then I think you guys will be okay. I, know, so, I think that stability is hard to be underestimated. And in a world where mental health issues are ballooning, including personality disorders, which is something which I've only really got clear on, which are kind of like really distorted personalities coming from trauma, often who find themselves in positions of power because uh, they're quite charismatic. Um, just showing up and being in the world and being stable and taking care of your friends and just that kind of well, what you call it kind of like daily spirituality it's not exotic and you're not going to have crazy brain states um but it's something really mundane and beautiful about saying to a friend oh i know you were upset last week how are you doing now that is for me living love you know there's it doesn't get much more complex than that and yes, that may not be a unified experience of all that is and whatever, yeah. but that is really the important stuff. You know, that's it's not, not it's not sexy on TikTok on uh, Instagram though. That's You're not going to get problem. a lot of uh, <laughs> sell a lot of books with that chat, but it's really the 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 basics, right? The basics are you know what I call them: love, courage, truth. Be honest. I mean, the amount of lies going on in the world blows my mind, and lies are the precursor to evil. I don't really believe in evil in a religious sense but i do believe evil things occur and they always seem to start with lies um whether it's grooming kids on the internet or um you know um people with two families a second family somewhere they no one ever knew lies really destabilize our human relationships and they rob they rob other people of their ability to make sense of things um and that's really dangerous and 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 dark so yeah basic human skills which I call leadership skills. That's why I love leadership as a lens because this is basic leadership. Like take care of myself, take care of someone else, take care of the planet. Okay, simple, love it. That's not religion, by the way. Not gonna start there, but it wouldn't be a bad start point, three line start point. I'm writing it down. I, I don't have a question here, but just a note. Over the last year, I mean, we do other podcasts. I'm part of other podcasts too that help people ah, to leave. Yeah. To, to understand the the absurdity of what they're being taught in other high demand fundamentalist religions and to help them leave. And when we put up a really dynamic episode and, we, and we, what I'm finding a lot of the responses are by this younger generation is, oh, that's a two hour podcast. I'm not going to watch two hours. Can you tell me in 30 seconds what it is that you say? And, yeah. and as you well know, religion from a young age gets you to believe in narratives and, and ideas that take a long time to deconstruct. And one of my fears, again, I don't have a question. I'm just adding this. One of my fears is that much of the younger generation is going to be unwilling to put the time, energy, and resources into really understanding the world around them, that it's going to be easy for things that 
feel good, just like religion was a thing that felt good and we continue to believe it even when it doesn't really make logical sense. I'm, I'm fearful that the younger generation will continue to believe things like, uh, and again, there, I think there's some of these things have usefulness. So I'm not speaking to that. I'm speaking to when you think they have supernatural ability, they don't have, I think mm. folks are willing to believe it and won't put the time in to really understand that it doesn't work. I mean, I would come and absolutely firmly agree with you from let's call it the psychological, the developmental side which is people often ask me, you know, how is it you have such an amazing family life and you seem to be so in love with your wife and, and you seem to be happy and you don't look 50, you know, you seem to be vibrant. And I, I say, because I spend three or four hours a day working on myself, reflecting, seeing where I went out of line, Amen. making sense of something, new information, dealing with grief, you know, whatever. It's unbelievable amounts of work. It's it's just constant. It doesn't go. In, it doesn't get any easier. If, if anything, gets harder because you get more stuff to have to deal with. And if you're afraid of doing two or three hours a week of deep diving into yourself and your relationship with the universe slash the world slash planet slash society slash whatever, um, the relational aspect of all life and, that, and religion is relational. Spirituality is relational. And that's so so. I didn't really get that until I think two or three years ago. The relationality the heart of everything it just takes work to be in relationships with anything or anybody um and you're not going to get it in a 20 second video um and in fact the reason i wrote this book the reason i wrote i wrote it as a poem um like a, a rhyming poem where you could read four lines and that could be your like that could be your meditation for the week um because i know my son won't sit there and read a long form book because i gave him my first book he said it's boring so um I, I was like okay and i got graphic novelist and i wrote uh, a graphic designer to do uh an illustrator to do amazing like graphic novel illustrations because i was like i've got to do something to make it a bit sexier and a bit more bite-sized but i'm not going to pretend that to have a life of love truth courage and creativity is something you're going to get in a 10 second bite you know chunk um, it's going to take years of work, and the, but that the bit I try to tell people is that is the bit that's so exciting is that you have an endless journey of new discoveries just from understanding yourself, um, and we don't need superpowers, supernatural powers, because we've all got superpowers. Loving someone who is mean to you is a superpower. It's a supernatural ability. You know, it's, it's supernatural. It's natural, but it's a superpower because most people can't do it. Most people can't be creative in the moments where their habits kick in and they want to react in the way they've reacted for the last 38 years. These are amazing superpowers. There's nothing more needed. You know, we don't need to turn anything from one thing into another, whether you're an alchemist or, or, or religious person who believes that is revealed truth, because we've already got so much to be discovered that's beautiful, awesome, and functionally useful in our relationships. You know, it actually helps us live a life of joy in the inherent pain. Mm. I'm going to take us down a, another road here because I want to bring in your book, Switch On, a little bit, which I, I also really enjoyed. And so something that Bill and I see as we're kind of helping people transition from a high demand religion is that um, when someone builds their foundation on, let's say, in this, in, in this instance, a Mormon god, and on that foundation is their morality, their purpose, mm -hmm. their meaning, their um, community. I mean, everything is, mm -hmm. is on this foundation and that crumbles. There'll be this swing um, for many people into nihilism where it's mm -hmm. just like, what is, I mean, 
when you're raised, you're 35 years old, let's say you're raised to think that the universe was created just for you, you know, and, and you're so special. And then to realize that, you know, you look out in the universe and it seems like the universe doesn't really care. It can swing people pretty hard into nihilism and it can take Mm. them some time to recover. So what, what advice would you give or how would you work with someone who just said, you know what, I just don't, like I'm in this nihilism space. I want to awaken. I want to fall in love with life. I don't even know where to start um, because Mm. life is just so different than what I thought it was. And my brain's like not, you know, handling that very well. How how would you, how would you start with that person? That's quite a conundrum. I just really just got struck by just an empathic response as you described that pen portrait, which I imagine you, meet people who quite a few number of people of that experience and i just want to honor your description and the people's the state of that must be um and i felt like a sadness in me um and a kind of um but also a kind of like that's kind of like a mini version an individual version of the way the world's been in the last 200 years you know since the death of god and Nietzsche describing we don't know we no longer believe in the guy with the white beard so we've I guess all of us have to go through a little bit of of nihilism to some degree when we come out of either our personal religion or the religious structures of the world that we're still in. Um, And it is painful because I went through that journey of there's nothing other than what I can measure with with a scientific tool. And I spent years in the sort of wastelands, the hinterlands and wastelands of um, of of materialist atheism where there is no purpose um, and there is no meaning. And this is the bit that really gets atheists, I find interested in what I have to say, which is if you're truly atheist in the way, the old fashioned atheism, there is no meaning in life. There can be, that's why you've got the absurd, the theater of the absurd and whatever, because um, everything goes, there's no purpose. There's no reason to be, there's no reason to love anybody. There's no reason to do any of it because if you can't measure it, it's nothing and you can't measure love. So in some ways, we all have to go through this um, breakdown of, of what, you know, we have to live through Nietzsche's words, you know, uh, that God is dead and we killed him. You know, that, that everyone has to go through that. Most people don't get through it. Um, they get stuck in deconstructing um, with the world, um, which you can do for your whole life. And it's quite fun. And I did it for a few years. It's quite exciting. Um, and then you go, now what? Um, and that's where the launch pad is to this next stage. So I would say, whoever if, might be in this state, this is an absolutely natural, normal state. It's 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 what the society has had to go through. To, that's why we're still in the problems we've got because we haven't really finished it as a society. We're still the reason why we're having this conversation is because we feel like we've gone through what I call this, the transformation curve, when you have to l- release old stuff before you get new stuff, and it's really scary to have let go of the old thing. But the deepest, one of the deepest wisdoms I can tell you is you can't get the new thing until you let go of the old thing. There is a period where you have no thing. And it's okay if you keep going, you'll find the thing arises again. And you can see whether that's in um, the innovation work I used to do for corporates, whether it's in personal transformation, spiritual emergency, as you've mentioned, brings you to your knees. You have to let go of the old thoughts and the old emotions, and then new things will come. And it's terrifying, but we all have to find a way through it. And what um, a good religious practice, a good spiritual practice will do, and a good community practice, it will give you a container to do that in a safe way. So the indigenous 
peoples of the world have created really good containers for this process. So we don't fly apart in the entropic moment of release of the old. And then we never come back again. I'm just going, ah, we're just moving away like a 2001 space odyssey. We have to come back, right, um, to coherence again, which is the upward part of this curve. And you can, if you look, uh, people want to find out, if you look up the transformation curve, uh, all in switch on, it's in switch on. Um, I architect this curve. It's, I believe it's the curve of transformation of any space, business, individual, group, whatever. Um, and the trick of it is you have to release before you receive, but you'll always receive something, new insight, new upgrade, new developmental quickening. Um, and there is a moment where you have nothing, and that's okay. Um, and those are the moments to breathe. Those are the moments to hold on, go for a walk in the woods. I found nature a, an amazing ally in my transformation, daily transformations. Um, hold on to a loved one, call a friend, um, read a book that you love, the novel that took you somewhere beautiful. You know, find something, tether, a tether that tethers you into what I would now call the non-dual experience of all that is, in my particular jargon. Um, but you could just tether into the woods. You could tether into the mountains. You could tether into the beautiful, actually, this is a rock from Utah. You could tether into the rocks of Utah, beautiful pink rock. Um, so, um, it's, you know, it's, I'm now getting into slightly uncomfortable territory for me. I do believe that there is no design, but a design has evolved. And a part of that design is constant growth. And things are there. It's a hero's journey. Things are there to help us grow, whether it's a person, a website you saw, a book you happen to fall. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've stumbled upon something which then turned into that little helper that got me through that nihilistic um, emptiness. Is there really anything other than nothing? You know, and it's a normal state of transformation is to have nothing. Um, it's the liminal stage. So, uh, uh, um, uh, and grief is an amazing one of these. It just totally takes you apart, like proper grief of someone you loved. And then it sometimes feels there's, you're never gonna come back, that the atoms are all scattered and there is no love left in this universe. Um, and if you keep going, that's probably the most, I should have summarized this, always keep going. Um, if you keep going, I call it through up and out. You can't go back. You can't make X great again. Um, you can't make the religion great again. You can't make the country great again. You can't make anything great. But you can make things great in future by just carrying on and allowing new information to come into you, intuition, ideas, insights, imagination, love, connections. And it, I, I've never seen it not work. And I've worked with 100,000 people, you know, in all types of people, this process is built, is baked in to how our species evolve, uh, right through to how Lego's done. You know, you can't have a new Lego. I'm talking about the game. You can't have a new Lego thing if you don't if you don't want to break the thing you the one you built yesterday. You know, you have to break the old bit, and then at one point you have nothing, and that's okay. Just keep going. Hold on. Hold on to somebody or something. Um, and I'm wondering in your particular world. And this is now I'm asking you, how do you help people tether to the bit beneath the bit, the bit underneath the book or the rules or the speakings, which is the bit that is the important bit, which is the tether to. Yeah. To yeah. Bill, Bill and I's approach to that is uh, so the people that we work with often have uh, an allergy to anything 
religious woo woo mm. spirituality because mm -hmm. if you're coming from mormonism there's going to be some degree of spiritual trauma mm. because you've given up a lot of your inner voice to an authority mm. and that comes at a cost and so so our so our audience and what we have to talk about a lot bill and i is is our audience is very um wary you know like they they have one foot in they're listening mm. but they're ready to shut us off at any moment right because because um, there's trauma there. And mm. um, both in Bill and Bill and I have talked about this um, in our personal kind of faith journeys, and then in the community in general. And so what we try to do is come at it from another direction. So if I were to say something like, this feeling is universal Christ, that message is not going to be a tether mm. for this audience, right? Sure. Yeah. But if I um, do it in completely science way like let's look at the science of rituals let's yeah. look at there's some science that shows that when you do a ritual and you get your body involved mm -hmm. you process that feeling faster than if you don't right. so is there something that we can do you can just make it up there's nothing supernatural about it let's just write mm -hmm. our feelings down and throw it in a fire and see what happens you know we're just fire. gonna we're just gonna kind of scientifically experiment here and so bill and i on this podcast are, are really just all about how can we um, get at those spiritual tools from another direction for this group of people that have religious trauma and have an allergy to spirituality. And so we're trying to get, get at it from that, from that direction. And that tends to be safer for this, for this. Audience. I mean, just so you know, you described my typical audience of atheists. Hmm. That's where I was at. I was totally allergic to anything that had dolphins chakras patchouli oil um certainly all religion was totally gone from you know i don't want to see moses i don't want to see books of you know stones with stuff on them. none of that stuff um so i have come to a very similar place i use science but i use science that isn't limited by what science can prove it it's like um i thought of a word for this recently it's kind of like inspirational science i don't know what the right word is where there's a little nugget and we can then, as you said, we can experiment from that nugget, like ore. There's lots of studies showing ore is da-da-da-da or walking in nature. Or So let's just go and walk in nature. We don't have to be thinking about the green man or um, uh, uh, a Greek wood, wood nymph or something. We just walk in nature, touch a tree. Let's see yeah. what happens. Yeah, so we, we just, did. Uh, you know, yeah, we did an episode on awe and we just started with the science of awe. Like, let's start here, mm. the, the, the science of awe and transcendence. And then we went into, you know, there was this there was this contemplation tree of seven different kinds of contemplation. And mm. for, some of it is body and stillness and mm. um, some of it is service. And and then so basically opening it, opening it up and saying, OK, which one resonates with you? And it just kind of gave it by doing the science route to the contemplation practice, mm. to the experiment is kind mm. of how we'll get people on board to at least try like, oh, I can claim this as a contemplation practice, even right. though um, it doesn't look like the contemplation practice that I associate, you know, with my religious past. So that's kind of the path that we go on. Bill, what, what thoughts here? It, it, the other thing too, is we didn't start from scratch. Britt and I didn't sit down one day and go, hey, we're going to start a podcast and start from a listenership <laughs> of zero. We've been doing work in this community for a decade, and they've watched the two of us deconstruct this religion mm -hmm. to the point where folks trust that if you know if we've got time to delve into the information, we're going to arrive 
at some sort of better truth, right? Mm. And the other thing too, that I think that we do really well is we come on every week trying to present information, but we're also really quick to go like, yeah, don't, don't set us up as your guru either. Mm. And I think folks, when you let go of religion and you're trying to figure out what to hang on to, you're just the moment you, especially the system these folks came from, the, the moment they hear somebody claim to know what it is and how it works, which is why, uh, let me back up and say this, in the conversation that we've all had today, the three of us, um, there have been moments where all three of us are going like, this little middle road is not working either. We can't really build a community here. And, and you said like, oh, well, this isn't working, but maybe in the future we can do this or do that. And that may seem a little hopeless to people, but I also like that conversation because it acknowledges that we're not the gurus. We don't have this thing solved. And the moment they hear voices that say, here's the solution, we know how it works, this is what it is, I think they right away recognize that's probably not it and, and they're ready to move on. So I think a big part of it is just not setting ourselves up as anything other than, you know, every week we spend time thinking about a topic, here's some interesting things about it. And let let the discussion continue after the episode's over. I, mean, I would I would say that is just wise leadership. I mean, you know, as a as a wise leader, you have some tools, you have some approaches, you have some things that work for you. You have some experience, had some data at one point, maybe uh, had a business model that worked, had a religious model that worked, but the world's changed. So let's keep going and explore what happens next. Um, and yes, by all means, ask me questions. I'm not sure I'm going to always answer them. And I will often tell you, this is just my experience. So, you know, don't necessarily take me for granted. And so, I, yeah, in all my books, I write a bit about, you know, basically what you just said. You know, this is my experience. This is something I find useful. These are bits that I teach. But you've got to just test this out for yourself. And I do make a discernment between cynicism and skepticism uh, and say, be as skeptical as you like test it out, try it out, read more about it, destroy it if you can, and but you've got to give it a go. Yeah, Whereas cynicism is, um, cynicism is an already protective pattern of disbelief in self and other, and it's not, help, it's not healthy or helpful to growth. Um, and people like that. You know, I think, I think I don't want you to believe anything I've said without you putting it to the test. Try this little thing. Try that thing. If you like it, do some more. Um, and actually in this new book for the young, young adults, I did say, and if there's bits you don't like or aren't relevant to you right now, I might be wrong <coughs> or it might not be the right time for you to hear this. I don't know. And, and that's keeping the choice in the listener reader, <coughs> I think is super important for, for all this work. The agency, as you said, you take agency from someone, it's violent, um, and it's violent whether you're a boss in a company or whether you're a preacher who's taking agency and it, it's it's traumatizing and so we all, we want the opposite we want super agentic in independent people who can then become interdependent mm. i think there's, there's there's an interesting developmental arc from dependent on your parents slash the community slash the religion fine but then i'm going to kick you out because i love you and you have to go and do something on your own now. You have to go to college. You have to go and find your own whatever. And then you can become interdependent where you can still be with us in the family community, but you're also on your own. You're with us, you're on your own. And that's an interesting question. I wonder what would happen if, if the religions of the world 
kept on what they're doing, what they're doing for the kids without taking away, you know, uh, empowerment. But then everyone said, 21, get out, go and find your own thing, come back in three years. Um, but you're not going to go and, you know, um, positize in Africa. You're going to do your own thing. I wonder what the, 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 you know, talking about reformation, what it would be to say to kick you out. Because I actually believe one of the things of a great spiritual teacher is to kick your students out after a while. You know, it's like you, you, you've heard everything I've got to say. You know, you've heard it all five times. You've sat in community with me. Go and find another person because you probably, you know, at, at best you're bored. At worst, you've projected onto me some kind of father thing that is inappropriate and not healthy for either of us. So yeah, I can't. Else. I can't imagine them making. I can't. I can't imagine religions in general, especially in America, making that move because you have to be in a very kind of secure, comfortable place. Exactly. And with the threat of secularism and atheism, I just don't see that. You know, I don't see that. That. Um, that security, you know, everybody's totally. kind of circling the wagons and each side is kind of egging the other on until it's absolute mayhem on both sides. So I have one last question for you. Yeah. And then Bill, if you had a last question, then we'll wrap up here. Cause I know we've taken your time, but it's just been such a lovely conversation. <laughs> My last question is um, when people work God into their worldview. So when, when mm -hmm. they use the word, when you're talking and they're translating in your head, Oh, he's just talking about God or the love of God mm. or whatever. Um, and, and let's, let's assume that they're that a personal God, not, not deism, mm -hmm. but theism that you can pray to. Do you ever in your work challenge people on that belief because it may limit them at that, at some point, or do you allow it to be because, you know, we don't know how consciousness came to be. So we should be open-minded to possibilities. And, Essentially, my question is, is spiritual atheism only for those who are already atheist? Or do you think there are benefits to not believing in God? Mm, wow. Mega question. Also, never been asked that before. Whew, I have to say, personally, I have an allergy to a personal God. Personally. Um, uh, and I just can't get my head around it. Or being any value, really, to me. Brackets, probably anyone... But I, as you said, I'm open. I don't know what there is, what the ultimate is. It doesn't make sense to me that it's an entity that looks like me because it's got to be bigger and more complex and more, um, you know, wrapped up. So I talk about, um, uh, what do I talk about? I talk about, um, uh, it's from Philip K. Dick, the sci-fi sci guy. I mentioned it. Um, he called it, oh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, Valis, vast active living intelligence system or something. Um, that's how I conceive of it. Do I pray to it? No. Do I commune with it? Definitely. I talk all the time because it's in me. So I'm part of it. It's in me. Why wouldn't I talk to it? Um, or me, talk to me. Um, in fact, there's a wonderful saying from Aboriginal thought called us two, uh, which is one ent entity called us two. Like I, I, I kind of like it as a kind of, it kind of gets into your head around me and an other um when i work with a lot of leaders who are religious um and i do not speak of it i have no comment i give them i love it when they pull something from what i've said and go oh compassion oh charity oh doing work for someone you know great um and i actually find often they have a more of a twinkle in the eye than, than some of the the more rationalists um type people but then a lot of the rationalists have also had children or they've gone um 
into the woods and had an amazing moment in the mountains of Yosemite, whatever. So most people have had some experience of this sacredness in their life. And the bit that I think <coughs> still gets everyone caught up, whether you come from a religious background, whether you come from a rationalist background, is people think it's somehow something otherworldly. I don't think anything could be more worldly than feeling a connection to something else. It's built into our nervous system already. Um, and if you go into the woods or you can hold a baby, if you go on a date, um, if you meditate for a while, feelings of togetherness emerge. And that's all it is. I mean, it's not all it is. It's the essence of it. The essence of this spirituality is a sense of there's more than just me. And it's a beautiful feeling to feel that. And um, yeah, I don't think as long as we can agree on that, whether we believe in entities is a whole nother conversation. And in fact, my wife and I, and we teach together, she does believe in entities of some sort, like, um, I think the word, I'm not going to say, she doesn't necessarily believe in what I'm saying, spirit guides or, or teachers or ascended masters, whatever. I don't know exactly what, but she does believe in some kind of entity. I personally don't believe in any entities. The, different, the thing is we can teach together because we believe that the information that you get from inner thinking or inner reflection or talking to God or talking to your spirit guide is intuition. And as long as we all agree that intuition is a useful piece of information that isn't local to your knowledge, um, and isn't based just upon your data, then all we're saying is take care of some intuition too and listen to it sometimes. And that's the teaching. The metaphysics of it, don't know. And don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, to be honest with you. I don't spend a lot of time in the conjectures of the ultimate nature of things. I spend a lot of time reflecting on how to bring it into wise decision-making, ultimately. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I, I We just, I say all the time, we talk about it all the time, that the folks who who know what can't be known are probably the folks you should stay the furthest away from. And the folks who go like, look, let's just figure out without trying to get at the bottom of what it is, let's figure out how best to implement these tools into our life. And you got it. Um, my only question for you is if folks want to know more about you, want to follow along your work, where can they best, uh, where can they best go to on the web or otherwise uh, to get more of Nick Jankel? Uh, great. So my company's website is switchonnow.com. Um, most of it's oriented towards leadership. If you go down into the bottom footers, there's all sorts of other things going on there. Um, and books and things. So yeah, Amazon, obviously it got this new book out, uh, rise the four elementals. Uh, and I've got, I think four other books now out, which is exciting. Um, and you can follow on Amazon, which is exciting. Social media, I'm not the best at. It's not something I spend a lot of time on. I am on Instagram. Uh, I think it's Switch On Now, at Switch On Now. And I am on Facebook and LinkedIn. If you're interested in the more kind of professional chat, LinkedIn me, I'm all super available for LinkedIn-ing. Um, and I'm on lots of podcasts and things. And I have a new podcast coming out myself, I should also add, which is called World Wiser Led, talking about practical wisdom, um, but intuitively love and compassion-based wisdom, not just um, sort of dry wisdom. So there's a few things. I'm so, I'm so excited to dig into that book with my, well, I guess preteen, I would call him. How um, old? 12. Perfect. So perfect Tell age. Ping me your address and I will have oh, my what a blessing. send you uh, a printing. 
I would love it's only that. Available in print at the moment. Okay. I'm very yeah, excited yeah. to dig into that. And I'm so excited that you're joining the podcast world so we can just hear more <laughs> about what's going on in your brain. That that time. I, I've listened to some podcasts and you've done TED Talks, but I'm I'm super excited. That's awesome. Me too. Me too. Thank you guys. I really learned a lot and I, I appreciate that we found ourselves in a conversation that 10 years ago we probably wouldn't be in. Yeah, well, super interesting. Ago, we'd be in totally different worlds. Uh, it's not even curious, probably just sort of judgmental. And well, um, Bill and I would have just been Mormons thinking that you were crazy. So I, I just been <laughs> scientists laughing at everyone. <laughs> we would have both just sat there, just like you poor soul, soul. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Nick. Awesome. Appreciate happy it. Festive times. Thank yeah. you, my friend. We're going to take you off the screen. We're going to probably chat for a few more minutes and then uh, we'll end the episode. But thank you so much. Appreciate you. Take it easy. All right. What'd you think, Bill? Yeah. Um, so let me change here the screen a little bit so it looks a little more appealing. Um, my, my first thought is I think listeners sometimes are going to be turned off by the you know, here we are playing in this middle ground, which I think is where reality is. Um, where religion is a bunch of myths that when taken literally impose a lot of trauma and violence on the world and complete atheism where you just don't associate in any community because there really isn't anything that grabs hold of you and you lose the tools that religion has brought along the way. Like, like religion was the vehicle that certain tools that bound us together as social creatures worked. And, and it's how it got done. And so we're in this middle road where we're saying like, okay, I don't want to make a list of things that uh, you have to believe in because they're not real. And I don't want to participate in that space. And I don't want to go off and not sit with how much the universe puts me in awe and how amazing it is. And the tools that religion brought along that I think you've done a great job uh, in the year that you've been kind of on this podcast pointing to those, but it is an org. We keep saying like somebody has to build it. And I, the more we talk to people, the more I think it's almost impossible. Hmm. Yeah. I liked how, so I threw him that question and I did, I do to almost anyone who works in this space because I'm just trying to figure out if it's possible. Right. Yeah. And uh, you know, like anyone, he, like any, uh, sometimes I'll be like, maybe this person, like this person seems like they, they really know. And then they'll just say, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if we can pull off something as, as big as religion from the secular space. Um, but I do like his answer of both and, and how you kind of end up in a similar place. And I'm, I used to be really, I would say a couple years ago, I would be really, it would be really hard for me to take. And I, I would say lately I'm a little bit more open to that answer that he gave of, of maybe both paths need to be happening at the same time because they end up in such a similar place, which is what we talked about when we interviewed Thomas Ord of like, it seems like, you know, you can build to this place or deconstruct to this place. And then the place between us is just a hair. Do we really need to be fighting over a hair? Maybe we don't. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have maybe been there a few years ago, but 
But the more conversations that we have, especially on our podcast in particular, maybe there's something to that that I wasn't kind of maybe ready to see a few years ago. The the challenge is, and I don't want to keep us much longer, but the you guys talked about it really well. The challenges are you have to have a leadership without pointing to another guru. You have to bring in enough funds that the organization can grow and take care of its in its inner needs. You you have to have something that is appealing enough that people will get together around it and it will grow. More people will come in to join that, that community. And you have to have a way in which you disseminate all of these ideas in a, such a general way that people are allowed to feel like they can put their own individual spin on it without some group of people going, but no, the line is here. This is the way it has to look. And those are some really big obstacles. And then you have to do it in a way that the entire planet, at least in some fashion, grows towards looking at that and going, oh, I see value there rather than, um, oh, my mind just went blank. But the the gentleman we, we uh, interviewed who's put the curriculum together uh, John, John Ogden. John Ogden. Yes. Thank you. So John, John does a beautiful job of staying very general, but specific on like principles and ideas that help us be better. And he's got this little tiny niche. And I'm not sure if you could, pers- if you could put it on a grand scale and the world would go like, Oh, you're right. You nailed it. Let's go there. Um, but it may be it may be, be because we as a society went through the process of deconstruction it may be the end of big box religion in general like it may not ever be possible except yeah. for fundamentalism which will just it'll just always be there like it it feels too good in our brains to not ever yeah. not be there right yeah. so except for that maybe big box religion is just not the future at all. And so maybe the future is everybody, you know, everybody wants, everybody knows that exercise is a part needs to be a part of your life for longevity and health and mental health and all of that. And everybody kind of does their own thing and they find their little CrossFit group or they find their walks or they find their yoga group. And maybe the future of religion, spirituality is more like that of maybe we just need to convince people that this needs to be a part of your life. It needs to be a little bit more than just picking good vibes like it it needs to have some depth to it it you need to be able to talk to people you need to be able to have people in your ear but but you know we're just too deconstructed now as a society to have that be in one place and everybody's gonna have to build that for their own life and so i feel like i've built that for my own life but then i'll have to kind of guide each child to find that for them. And that may be just totally different spiritual paths for each of them. Maybe that's really the future is it's just going to be super individual because it's just too, it's just too hard. It's too hard to build something big without dogma holding it all together. That may yeah. be the reality. And and then you're against the, the idea of people's attention spans. You know, he mentioned that he gave his kid his book and his kid didn't want to read it. And I'm, I it immediately struck a chord with me because I've given all four of my kids the converse, the 12 conversations we had with Jana and Anthony on Buddhism for beginners. Cause I thought those conversations would have been so helpful to my children. 
And one of my kids maybe has listened to it. I know he's read the book. And the other three of my kids are like, come on, I got better things to do, like play on TikTok and put a put a snapshot of my meal on Instagram or something. Well, I'm for sure going to dig into that book and uh, with my kiddo, especially if it's got some cool art and, and yeah. it's done for that age group. And uh, if it if I really, yeah, it's something that we can explore on the podcast, if it's going to be a helpful resources for other other people who are trying to figure this out for their kids too. And that's the big question mark. And, and uh, Nick, for as wise and how wonderful that conversation was, you know, he didn't have the answer to all mm -hmm. these questions either. He's in the space of trying to figure it out with the rest of us with his own kids too. So yeah. at least it can feel like, you know, we're in good company trying to yeah. figure this out with even cool people like Nick. So it brought up a lot of things. I think at some point we should do a conversation around the four archetypes and talk about that. You know, there were comments in this episode off to the side. We didn't put them up on the screen, but there were comments off to the side where folks don't really see the ill in astrology or tarot cards. And maybe we ought to do a revisit that and, and talk about that a little more. Yeah. Um, and I didn't mean to do like a blanket, you know, all occult is, yeah. is nonsense. You know, I, we briefly did this, we could, we could go into it more, but we, we did an episode where we talked about, you know, here's the intuition tool and here's where maybe we see it spiral a little bit into, yeah. into nonsense. Um, but yeah, lo lots, lots more conversations to be had sure. as we're all trying to figure this out for our own lives and for our own kids. So yeah. And the other comment is I had, we had three people. I almost, I, I almost went into it, but we were just on a different tangent, but there were three people who said, I really miss singing. And mm. that's something that the secular world still hasn't been able to replace is people gathering together to sing. Um, because we can't, you know, in the secular world, we can't sing whole hymns that just have no meaning for us anymore. Yeah. And so what do we sing about? And, 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 and if you if you messaged all your secular friends and said, "Will you come over to my house and sing?" You know who would who would come? Even though yeah. it's such a good thing in our nervous system to sing with other people, you know it's very powerful. Um, that's because one that's that, not the one way. I mean, again, he said like if you you try to replace all these modalities that religion does, and religion one yeah. facet of religion is we're going to spend ten minutes out of our Sunday singing songs. Yeah, we're going to sing and everybody yeah. takes a turn doing a lesson yeah. and someone's good with kids and someone does this and and he's right like you can have a you can have your own little experience in the bigger experience and yeah. secularism is just not complex enough. We're not even we're not even comprehending that. it exactly. Right, we're not even comprehending that getting together and singing together is like something of value. But there was yeah. a couple of our listeners who were just yeah. like, I, I, I just want to get together and people sing, especially around the holidays. Like, I just want to sing, but now I don't know how. And like, that's the that's like a representation of the gap we're in. Like, I want to sing together with people, but how how do we do this now? Somebody just sent me a book, so instead of <laughs> hymns, hymns. I've seen that one. <laughs> I've seen that one. It's it's actually really lovely. It's a, yeah. It's really lovely. So okay. we, we got to figure it out. We'll just keep talking about it, and hopefully, it's helpful for you guys. And hey, if this was if we did um, if this podcast had exclusive content that was paid for content, this conversation definitely would be in the exclusive content uh, 
a profile because uh, Nick, I mean, he goes into really big companies to to have these conversations and people pay him a lot of money to do what he does to kind of bring a culture to life and to have some meaning in in leadership or in business or in community. And so we were super honored to have him. And if, if this conversation was helpful, please support the podcast so that we can keep bringing in guests for these really, really interesting like edge edge of the cultural zeitgeist, you know, leading the way conversations. So appreciate mm-hmm. all the people who watch live too. And you do that, folks. Go to almostawaken.org. Certainly leave comments on the episode here or on YouTube or on the website. We'd love to know what you're thinking about, what kind of things you want to see covered. I saw somebody just wrote, hey, at some point cover Taoism. Or Let's do Taoism. Yeah. I, I can't believe we haven't done that yet. We'll definitely do that. But next week, Bill and I are going to kind of get off our usual secular uh, high horses and do our favorite Jesus stories for Christmas. So we'll start compiling that for you guys I'm excited. and uh, approach Jesus as wisdom teacher and, and how we uh, kind of interact with these stories now. So we'll see you guys next week. And thanks Bill for a lovely, a lovely morning, which awesome. we usually don't get to do. Okay, folks have a great day. We appreciate each of you and Britt, you're awesome. So have a, have a great holiday season and we'll see you guys all next week. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hartman.